everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This episode, we are doing our second part of our coverage of May 1964. And looking at it and looking at the way things are, it looks like three episodes per month of comics is going to be kind of the standard for like, I don't know, until our children. Rest of our life. Yeah. 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 (laughs) There are no new comic series for a very long time. (laughs) Ah. So, but but the the uh, the storytelling abilities will probably increase as we go. Hopefully, yes. So we are on two of three, where we're going to be finishing out the first week of May, the first week of release, which was May fifth, and starting into the second week of release, which was May twelfth. And we're starting out with Journey into Mystery one hundred six. Yeah, we've read one hundred six of these. We have. Not. Nope. No. Nope. No, nope. I lied. You're such a liar telling the these, kids. These dang numbers, we can't figure anything out. Just subtract 82. Don't subtract 80. It starts on 83, but don't subtract 83 because you actually want to include 83 in your list. So subtract 82. Okay. I'll do that right now. We've read 24 Thors. We've read 24 Thors. It's a lot of Thor. I'm Thor. <laughs> From all the Thor. <laughs> well, uh, you get to do two out of three books tonight. But oh, if it's really? any consolation, I have to do the worst book. So kind of you, balances out. You're you're not wrong, sir. You're not wrong. All right. So May 5th, 1964, Journey into Mystery with the Mighty Thor. And we're getting into this era where um, in the letters pages and the uh, – well, they're not doing bullpen, bulletin page yet. But uh, in the fan discussions and the letters pages, these comics are no longer referred to as Journey into Mystery, Tales of Suspense, Tales to Astonish. They're mm. referred to by their hero name now. So even though it's still officially Journey into Mystery, they do commonly refer to this comic as Thor. And then we have Iron Man over there. And then we have Giant Man over in the third spot. So that's kind of their unofficial names now. Um, well, it's kind of like um, if you look at the cover, it's this little tiny Journey into Mystery with the Mighty Thor. Right. So if you weren't a kid who read the fine print, you might actually think this was Thor number 106. And it's the Thor logo that we're going to have for a while. So when it becomes Thor, this is the Thor logo. Mm-hmm. I think all the way until Walt Simonson makes his like metallic Thor logo. Mm. The start of his run. I think that logo that on the first cover is like crashing through an old logo. I think it's this old logo. It's interesting. It's like a super, I, we don't really talk about logos, but it's like a Superman logo, but with stuff torn out of it. Yeah. So like instead of the ends of the letters being all like, you know, rectangular, you know, cropped there, it's um it's like uh it's like Frey jeans or something. Mhm. Mhm. How can Thor hope to defeat Mr. Hyde and the Cobra after they've taken his mighty hammer from him? Oh, the- I don't know, super strength and vulnerability. Right? Throw a cape over their faces. Slap Any them number with of ways really, but Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, our Thor. pledge to you, if you don't like this epic battle, you might enjoy Millie the Model. You know what's funny about that is they're slimy Millie the Model, but they also make Millie the Model. Right, right. It's kind of weird. And I can get, you know, if, if superhero adventure is not your thing, you might like the teen romance stuff over there. And that's great. But it also feels just kind of vaguely sexist. Yeah. Like, if yeah, this comic's it, not good enough, go read the girl stuff. It feels like a slam, but it's like it, it'd make more sense if they said go read Archie or something. Right, right. Anyway, go read something else we make. So this is concluded directly from last issue. We ended on a cliffhanger where Thor was without his hammer. 
He's faced off with Cobra and Mr. Hyde. And I should, before I go too much farther, this is written fairly well by Stan Lee. Drawn not too badly by Jack Kirby. Inked kind of nice by Shakestone and lettered pretty fair by Art Simic. And yeah, we get, I would agree. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 you know, they're not, not painting themselves up too nicely this time. Um, we get a brief recap of the events. Uh, they kidnapped Jane Foster. Um, Don Blake had his hammer in a chest because he had decided never to be Thor again. Um, they tell him to get his walking cane out of the chest and he'll lead them to Thor. He takes the walking cane while everyone is looking the other direction, which the recap reminds us of. Everyone's just looking the other direction. He smacks his cane on the ground, becomes Thor. And they're like, oh, where'd Dr. Blake go? I'm Thor. He ran out the door. Uh, I should, I should wrap that. Um, So the bad guys run away. He goes after them. They grab his hammer with a machine because machines have more strength than humans. Because remember, the worthiness thing is not part of the quotient yet. They grab his hammer with a machine. And um, now Thor is like, okay, got to get my hammer back. So he fights the bad guys. And his, um, his hammer has turned into a walking stick. After 60 seconds, because Thor turns into Don Blake after 60 seconds, he runs into a crowd before he does those. He's like hidden by the crowd. So the bad guys don't see him turn into Don Blake. His uh, cane is stuck inside the machine. Um, He can't get to it because it's inside the machine. And he's like, you know, just a person can't reach inside the machine. He goes to the bad guys and he's like, okay, you know what, Mr. Hyde? I know where Thor is and I'll take him to you. And the crowd's like, what can you, how can you possibly betray the mighty Thor like this? He's a superhero. Don't you love him? And Don Blake's, you know, whatevs. I'll tell you where Thor is. But before I do, I need my antique walking stick. It's inside that machinery. And Mr. Hyde's like, I I can get it for you. But then Mr. Uh, Cobra's like, he just comes back from being slithered up the side of the building. No, 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 wait, wait. I want to be cool and slithery. I'll slither in the machines and I'll get it for you. But he slithers and can't quite slither far enough to get the stick. His fingers are just like inches from the stick. So they like, never mind, tear it up. So he's like, that's what I was going to do in the first place. And he tears up the machines and grabs the stick and hands it to Don. And Don skadooshes, skadooshes back into the crowd and smacks his cane down in the middle of a crowd of people and becomes Thor when no one's looking. So this is <laughs> twice now that he has transformed in the middle of a crowd of people. But they just happen to not notice. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Yep. Um, all right. So Thor fights the bad guys. And I don't remember a lot of details, except at one point, Mr. Hyde is not feeling too great about winning this fight. So he drinks his potion to turn back into uh, Calvin Zabo or Zabo, whatever his name is. Also, his clothes magically change. Um, so he walks away and Thor turns the Cobra over to the police And then whenever Thor is alone, he turns uh, back into Mr. Hyde again and attacks Thor again. And Thor smashes him and they fight. And so it's a pretty good fight because Mr. Hyde actually has strength to contend with Thor, which wasn't super obvious from his first appearance, but is more obvious now that he really, really is super duper strong. And finally, Thor throws Mr. Hyde smack dab into a crowd of policemen like bowling pins. And they capture him and take him away. And Thor uh, uses his hammer to skadoosh back to his office. Don Blake says, hi, Jane. And Jane's like, oh, how could you? I saw you on the news. You gave away Thor to those bad guys. I never want to see you again to think that I loved you. 
the that's end. the end. So you do all the naming of the episodes on this show. Are you going to call this like the two, two identities or something like that? Um, yeah. I like, don't know. That, du- that's why I don't do the naming. But d- The double, double identity? Double, double. Because there's two guys with two identities. Yeah, that works. Or something. If I like just that. remember it when I'm putting the name on there. <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought that was kind of an interesting theme. Like uh, Thor turns to Donald not on purpose, and he's not hiding per se, but he they don't know he's Donald, and then later purposely Hyde turns to Calvin or whatever to get away from Thor. So they're both like two, I don't know, sides of the same coin or something in a way. Like they can turn to really strong dudes and also just be nerdy scientists. Yeah. Um, and they're both kind of going back and forth a lot in the story. And, Mm -hmm. um, this was, this was a pretty solid, like extended fight scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's kind of what you're expecting after as a, as a conclusion to the previous story is, you know, him really thrashing on the bad guys. That's one of the reasons why they do multi-parters is they could take one part to do more story and one part to do more fighting. Um, but there's not a whole lot of story to it as a result. Like I really liked the whole machine bit because at first it's a little ridiculous that the bad guys are going to cater to Don's demand for his cane, but they get some great art out of it with Cobra's gyrations. Yeah. So like, I remember the first time we saw Cobra, I think my complaint was he didn't really do any Cobra things. Mm -hmm. He was just, he called himself Cobra and he went around with a gun and electronic stuff or what. I don't even remember what the weapons were, but they had nothing to do with thematically with being a Cobra. He had like a venom dart gun. Yeah. And now he's finally doing the, I have no bones or I can squeeze through Mm -hmm. little tiny things. Cause there's a great sequence. That's probably my best favorite part of the story of him trying to crawl in. Unfortunately, he's not successful, but he tries to crawl into this machine by way of like a little tiny hole. No human can fit in. Um, Kirby does a really good job of like demonstrating his like Reed Richardsy type stretchy powers. Right. um, To get the stick. But speaking of stick. Okay. So here's some things I thought about rule-wise, because let's just be, uh, 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 you know, anally retentive, I guess. But last time we covered this story, and this made me laugh, and I love this part, where Don's like, hey, look out the window and tap that stick, and Thor will be there, I swear. And they did it, and he turns to Thor, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, is that a thing? If anybody taps the stick and you're near Thor, he turns to Thor. I think we talked about that. But what we didn't talk about, I think, was that he also reaches out and the hammer just comes to him. Usually he has to throw it to get it to come oh. in. And now he apparently either doesn't because he just transformed or what. Um, so that's so one he, weird thing. So he does a summoning for the first time. Maybe he doesn't even realize he can do that, so he doesn't do it very often. At that instant, the cane will be transformed into my hammer and fly to my hand. So maybe it's oh, only, yeah, a, it only on a summoning moment or something. Maybe it's only on a transformational moment that happens. I don't know. But then the other thing is, I thought we established that if he drops the hammer and turns to Don Blake, it stays a hammer. Because remember there was that issue where Loki like blocked the hammer with a force field so he couldn't touch it? Uh-huh. And he ran away and turned to Don Blake and then later he came up with some awesome trick with a Thor balloon or something to distract Loki just enough so all he had to do was touch the hammer and he turned to Thor again. As soon as he grabbed the hammer, he was Thor again. But in this... It turns to a stick in the machine. You're right. Now, that's just a plot device because if it was the hammer, what could they do about it? They couldn't even lift it. Um, but still, they're breaking their own rules there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and, and I think going forward that this is going to be the rule because this is the way I remember it. Like the hammer turns yeah. into a cane. When it, they're, they're tied. If Don Blake is Thor, the cane is a hammer. If, if Thor is Don Blake, the hammer is a cane. 
Which makes more sense to me. Yeah. But anyway, so that was just some little stuff that doesn't matter. Um, uh, did you think it was weird that, like, Mr. Hyde took his change medicine and, like, suddenly he's wearing a suit with a bow tie and glasses? He does have a little line to sort of explain it, but I do yeah, think it's weird. Yeah, a little bit later, but at first it's like, how did this happen? Right. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And then there's a, like, a line to explain it. But even still, if Hyde is, like, twice the size of... Calvin, then that still doesn't really work. He says he right. turns his jacket inside out. So his supervillain outfit is a reversible business suit. Essentially. But somehow the jacket's not three sizes too big. Right. And all those capes it. and stuff that he has on it don't like yeah. make it bulge when it's the other way around. That seemed like something that like uh, a letterer added just to explain something, but the artist didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that there was some really cool art with the Mr. Hyde fight as well, especially the giant panel on page 14. Yeah, the bottom of page 14, uh-huh. where it's it's a rectangular panel, but you have Thor and Mr. Hyde oversized. So first there's a cool dramatic moment. Never have I despised a foe as much as you. Never have I been so eager to feel my avenging fists lash out and find their mark. And never have you been beaten as I'm going to beat you now. It's just great, you know, a great superhero moment. But also, like, they can't fit in the panel. Like, Kirby has them all, like, the panel seems too small for these massive characters. Kirby draws good Thor, and he draws good Thor fights. So mm-hmm. anytime there's a story where it's all fight, even though it's hard for us to talk about, I do enjoy them immensely. Um, that panel stood out to me too, though, from that dialogue you just read, because I started thinking, like, it really sounds like they're trying to make Hyde like his nemesis, you know? Mm-hmm. Like his main Joker to Thor's Batman, you know? And it kind of makes sense. They're both characters that transform. They're both scientists by day and big hulking whatever by night or not night, but you know what I mean. Um, but I just don't really think of Hyde as a Thor villain, even though he clearly debuted there. Right. So I, I guess this goes away. Yeah, I don't think of him as a Thor villain either. So it is a little strange. I was just looking to see where his next um, next appearances are. And it's like a long time from now in Daredevil. Yeah. See, so, so then he starts he starts venturing out. But that line, man, it really seemed like Thor was has never been more in all his immortal life. He's never been as mad as he is with <laughs> Hyde right now. So it's like, wow. But uh, I guess they, I don't know if they really had plans for that or not. Because like you said, they didn't bring him back. So maybe they were thinking about it at the time, but it just didn't end up working out. Yeah, yeah. Daredevil thirty is his next appearance. Oh and, wow, that's yeah. a long ways away. Because Daredevil's bi-monthly for quite a while. So issue 30 yeah. is, I think, 1967. Jeez. So, or 68, maybe. But anyways, um, yeah, so then we get to some drama at the end to carry us into next month. So, yeah, I, we'll see how long that lasts. Because so far in Thor, any sort of like side drama or personal drama seems to get resolved really quick. Uh, but that's true of all these comics except Spider-Man. So I'm waiting for it to bleed into other comics. Like they figured out that for Spider-Man it works. Mm-hmm. So when are we going to start getting girlfriend problems that last more than one issue? You know, right? Because we need that. Uh, we need. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping she stays mad at him for a while. But we'll never know. We'll find out until uh, we read it. Yeah. Have we um, have we talked about how Calvin Zabo, Mister Hyde, was handled in the MCU? Uh, I'm not sure if you I'm not sure if you know. You're stumping me. I'm not sure I do know. I'm thinking. So, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2. 
Oh, well, I haven't watched that. So, no, I don't know. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin, the uh, the guy who was in Twin Peaks and some other David wow. Lynch properties. He was also um, the main guy in Dune. He uh-huh. is, um, you don't find out his full name until late in the season. But there's- They call him Cal? Yeah, they call him Cal. Mm. And the- the Sky character from the first season, the young woman who's sort of a hacker who gets... I don't know if you've watched any of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I saw like the first season, but I can't remember. Yeah, so she comes on. She's like the new agent. She's sort of the the, pers- the, the point of view character for the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, in the second season, she starts exploring where her parents were because all she knows is she's an orphan. And okay. it turns out that this guy is her dad. But oh. also, he is Calvin Zabo, Mr. Hyde, and he changes and doesn't go through as dramatic a transformation. It's more of just like more haggard and more monstrous. Uh, um, but yeah, so Mr. Hyde is in there and he married or at least had a long term romantic liaison with an inhuman. And they gave, you know, they gave birth to Sky Daisy Johnson, who is Quake in the comics. Quake, um, yeah, that's what I was trying to remember. Right, and and yeah, he ends up being mentally unbalanced, but still sympathetic. Like you end up finding out that he actually had good motivations. He just didn't have the wherewithal to be good about carrying them out. So probably more like the actual Jekyll Hyde. Although I've never read that, but I assume it's not a guy. I've never assumed it was a guy who wanted to be evil who takes a growth serum to be more evil like he was in Thor. Not so much evil by our standards today, but um, he wanted to be able to have some more vices in his life and not be recognized. So oh, that was the, his the motivation. Tra- <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like if you want to go down to, you know, the – I don't know. I don't know exactly what they all were. but the basically, local bar? Yeah, he was – he was gentility, he was nobility or whatever, and he didn't want to be recognized doing stuff that would cause his reputation to, okay. to sink. So the transformation serum wasn't even to, like, to make him evil, it was just to change his face. Okay. Uh, at least at, for, at the beginning of the story. That's, that was sure, it. it got out of hand. Got out but, of hand, exactly. But this one, like comic book Mr. Hyde is like, you know, you didn't hire me because I'm a criminal, I hate you. I'm going to take this serum and hate you more and stronger. Right. So... He doesn't really change personality all that he just much. Becomes more monstrous about it. I guess he just becomes a stronger version and can do things that he wants to do. Um, anyway, yeah, good story, I guess. I mean, you could pick it apart a little bit and say, why didn't Thor just rip the machine open and take his hammer back? But other than that, I liked it. Well, that takes us to Tales of Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods, with Balder the Brave. Ooh. And it's weird because quotes are only around the brave. So it's just like the brave. Because, <laughs> yeah, right. It's our Balder story. Uh, um, there is no Scottish archer with big, awesome red hair. That's a brave reference. Uh, written with passion by Stan Lee. Drawn with pageantry by Jack Kirby. Inked with power by Vince Coletta. And lettered with pride by Art Simic. Vince Coletta, is that a new name for us? I think it might be. It's not a new name to me, but I think it's a new name for the show. Yeah. Anyway, we don't really keep track of that either. But it doesn't he, sound normal. So Balder has been summoned before the king, and he is, you know, wearing some nice green and yellow outfit here. And basically, Odin's like, okay, you know what? We were fighting recently, and you stopped and left the fight. As we were pursuing them back to their land, you deserted the army. What was up with that? 
is like, oh, yeah, I saw this bird fall from her nest and I stopped to put it back in the nest with his mother. And I was like, what? 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 You dare give Odin so lame an excuse? The only lame person here is Don. Bl- oh, wait. Um, <laughs> and so he's like, you are going to have to face a test of mortal death because you deserted the armies for a stupid reason. And Baldur's like, um, okay. And everyone else is like, but your majesty, we love Baldur. You can't be mean to him. And Baldur's like, no, chill, guys. I'll, I'll take my punishment. And I was like, chill out, guys. Silence. I am Odin. I have spoken. So Balder basically strips down to his pants and goes out in the field. Odin's like, okay, shoot some arrows at him. And they decide to kill him with arrows. But hawks fly out of the air and catch the arrows. Um, Brambles grow out of the ground to stop the spears. And uh, Thor is going to throw his hammer at him. But just as he's about to throw his hammer... Like Abraham not killing Isaac, Odin stops Thor's arm and says, you know what? That's fine. The test is over. I don't really want to kill Balder. He's pretty awesome. I just wanted to say, you know what? Uh, since everything in nature loves you so much. In fact, it wasn't just nature. It was actually me. I'm Odin. I called the hawk. I called the plant because I have a gift for you. You from now on are going to be invincible. You are Balder the invincibly brave. Everyone's like, yay, Balder. And I was like, you know, I couldn't have given this present to a nicer guy. That's the end. Odin sure is a nutball, isn't he? He is one wacky dude. There is one panel and one bit of description here. Is like, as famed for his terrible anger and swift punishment as for his inscrutable wisdom. And I'm like, I don't think you can have both kinds of fame. I guess if you're Norse or something. I don't know. Did someone, like, not get the memo that Baldur's supposed to be purple and gold? They established mm-hmm. that the last time he showed up. They finally gave him a costume. Mm-hmm. And then they backpedaled. And it kind of looks like that Kirby was intending for it to still be that same costume, but they just went green. Yeah, it's kind of different. Um, yeah, and I forget of, that Baldur's supposed to have white hair later, so I don't know when that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. He's wearing a helmet um, when last we saw him, but... What a bonkers story. Like, Odin essentially is not testing – I guess he's testing Balder, Balder's bravery because he's worried about him being such a bird lover or something. But he's also testing whether his men are, like, mindless drones who will do whatever he says because none of them want to actually kill Balder. But they all mm-hmm. just do it anyway. So, yeah, fun times to be uh, bossed around by Odin, I guess. Yeah. Even though Odin is completely bonkers, I do kind of like the story. I like Balder in the story, you know – He's just a good boy. He just does what he's supposed to do and is really good to all the people around him. He's really good mm-hmm. to nature. He's really good to Odin. He's just everyone loves Balder. See, I don't I don't know a lot about the Asgardian side of uh, Thor comics. Mm-hmm. More the earthly Midgard side. But I do kind of know that Balder is like the lawful good guy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. always kind of like the, even more righteous than Thor which is hard to do. And uh, he's one of the few supporting characters to have his own series. Like there was a Baldur the Brave mini during the Simonson run. Oh, because it was, was doing, so popular. Yeah, and he was doing stuff, a lot of stuff with Baldur in his run. So at one point he just gave Baldur four issues of his own. Cool. Um, to, to focus on some of that. And uh, it, it worked out. It was tied into the continuity of everything else that was going on. It was, it was pretty good. Um, I love 80s Marvel. So yeah, the ending is pretty pat. But they do establish Balder. But should we see what our Asgardian advisor has to say? 
Let I mean, you probably already know the answer, but I'm going to guess that this is all baloney. Let's see. Okay. Well, Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, um, who is the host of the Hammer Strikes podcast and who runs the Two True Freaks Twitter uh, channel and just does a lot of different podcasts. He is also a worshiper of the Norse gods, and he has written in to say this. Great. Just when I thought Stan and Jack were on a roll, this story shows up. <laughs> Yay. I got the same feeling here as when I read issues 98 and 99. Yes, Balder was granted invincibility. But how it happened didn't resemble this in the slightest. Balder, the son of Odin and his wife Frigg, later Frigga in the comics, which I think that means he's Thor's brother? Must isn't, be. Isn't Freya Thor's mom? Uh-huh. Um... I'm going to verify that in a minute. But Balder was haunted by nightmares that he had about his death. Frigg had the same dreams, and this so worried her that she traveled the universe and obtained the promise for everything to not harm her son. Everything except for mistletoe, that is, since she thought such an insignificant weed could never harm harm Balder. Sure, just that one thing. Right. Simonson plays with that. I remember there being some stuff about Balder not being harmed. And um, Loki contriving a situation for mistletoe. Hmm. Well, okay. it does say in this story that he has one invulner- one vulnerability, but they don't tell us what it is. Oh, yeah. The tease for next issue is that we're going to find out his Achilles heel. So that – I mean, not to interrupt Gene Hendricks, but does that, so does that mean basically that Balder is like the uh, Achilles equivalent or – or are they just totally different characters? Like, does he have other similarities with Achilles? Well, yeah, you know how like there seems to be, and it's not down the line, but there seems to be like Zeus and there's Odin and there's Neptune and there's Poseidon. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Like, is is, is Balder supposed to be Achilles? Like, they're both just these invulnerable dudes. I think Achilles was a human, though. I don't know. I think he was a human. I think Achilles was in the Trojan War. He wasn't a god; he was a soldier. Achilles was a soldier who got dipped into some vat or something that made him invulnerable, except they had to hold him by his heel. It's all coming back to me now. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, they had so to hold his him by heel, the heel they dipped him so he didn't have the heel get covered. So somehow that means that if you stab him in the heel, it's like stabbing him in the heart, even Slice though his heart's tendon. in his chest. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. So going on with uh, Gene's comments, once Baldur's invincibility was obtained, the gods took great sport in throwing things at Baldur and watched them bounce off. That's probably where Jack got the idea for this story. Loki, though, was able to get the secret of Baldur's weakness out of Frigg. He then fashioned an arrow out of mistletoe and talked Baldur's blind brother Hoder into firing it, with Loki aiming for him. This arrow killed Baldur and caused Loki to flee Asgard. I remember this from comics. This happens at some point. Okay. Um, I'm going to give this comic a pass on having Tyr shown as having two hands... This can be done before the binding of Fenrir where he loses his right hand, but that's the only thing he gets a pass on. And that's the end of his comments. And Frigg is his mother, and Frigg is uh, Thor's mother. Frigg is Thor's mother? I th- yeah, because she's the uh, high... Uh, she's married to... Married, whatever. I don't know how they do... Yeah, the wife of Odin. Okay. Now, what I'm trying to figure out is if Baldur's father is somebody else. And I'm not finding that fast enough. Oh, he's the son of Odin. So they're like straight up brothers, at least in, you know, the mythology. I don't know about Marvel Comics, but. I'm on the Thor page. Well, I know that Freya is his mom in the in the movie, and I'm pretty sure she's his mom in the comics. I'm looking in the 
Wikipedia of the Thor page to see who Thor's parents are. Some three I'm feeling like he's not. Oh, I didn't look that up. I feel like maybe he's not Freya's son in the comic, in the in the, in the actual myths. Ah, uh, boy, they sh- they don't just spell it out real fast, do they? Come on, I'm trying to use like Control F to just Thor. Oh no, that's the uh, the word mother is just not on his website very much. <laughs> Tears, mother. By way of Odin, Thor has numerous brothers, including Balder. That's a line in the Wikipedia entry. Okay, so that's but a, does that it say that implies a half brother. Yeah, with Sif, Thor fathered the goddess. Blah blah blah. blah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I give up. Where's the relationship chart? Right. There actually are some, so that might be helpful. I just typed in Google who is Thor's mother, and the answer is Odin. <laughs> I would believe it, honestly. The comics frigate is Thor's stepmother. In the comics, it says. Okay, stepmother. So his biological mother is Gaia. Oh, that's right. I remember that being a thing where like Odin has married Freya, so she's his mom, but she's not his actual mom. So Thor is the son of Odin and the Earth. Because Odin wanted a son who would be strong of Earth, not just in Asgard, and give birth. And blah, 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 they gave birth to Thor. Well, that's why. Th- that's why they chose Thor as the person to live on Midgard and to protect him because he's okay. 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 All right. So that's journey into mystery 111 or 106. Yeah. So now we, we move on to a, a tale that's astonishing. It is so astonishing. I'm astonished. A 58th tale. Uh, and this is also the same time. This is also May 5th. Cover yes. dated August 1964. Wow, the cover dates are way off. Um, it's called The Coming of Colossus, and it's written completely by Stan Lee, illustrated neatly by Dick Ayers, inked discreetly by P. Reinman, and lettered sweetly by Art Smek. So they did a little rhyme there. Um, and it opens with Hank and Jan in the lab. And I don't remember what she wants to do. She wants to do girl stuff. And he's like, eh, girl stuff. I want to do sciencey boy stuff. So his sciencey boy stuff, this issue, though, is kind of interesting. is because he's get, getting sick of doing the pill thing where he has to take a pill to shrink and grow. So he comes up with something to attach to his cow. He calls it a helmet, but it in no way seems to be a helmet or anything that changes his look at all as far as I can figure out. So I'm not sure what it is, like a tiara, microscopic tiara or something. But – uh it works. He can now think um, and change size. And they give some sciencey explanation that I can't remember, but we'll get into that later because I remember it sounding stupid. Um, anyway, <laughs> just as they're celebrating that awesomeness, oh, and also Wasp, while she's waiting for him to pay attention to her, redesigns her outfit. So there's that scene too. Then Captain America comes in. And so John and Mike have to cover this issue in the Mighty Shield. Um, and he tells giant man and wasp that there's this really big colossus guy in bora 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 buru i think they call it or something yeah um and he is on like a, a big giant peak that's really high and it's above all the natives and he doesn't even go down there or anything and they don't go up to be, bother him but he's like demanding a sacrifice and they're all scared and they're gonna do it anyway the avengers are too busy but giant man this guy's three times your size and super strong why don't you go take care of him and he's like, okay, cool. So he flies over there, and the first thing the giant does is seize the plane and grabs it and throws it, and they all crash. Uh, giant man turns to Ant-Man, more identity crisis, and he and Wasp climb up the peak 
or whatever it's called, the plateau or something. They use this cool new gadget he has. It's essentially like, you know, Batman's uh, cable ascending thing that he uses in the animated series. It just shoots out and pulls them around and stuff like that. Anyway, they get up there and it's kind of a fight. And I don't remember all the details, but essentially like the wasp will sting the giant and then that makes it so giant man can punch the giant. But the giant is 30 feet tall. And if we all remember kiddos, uh, giant man can only go 12 feet. If he goes higher than that, he gets weak and, you know, weak in the knees and stuff. So he tries the pretty much the Colossus like just keeps beating him up because he's stronger and bigger. And every time he's about to die from that, Jan sort of saves his life by either shooting the giant in the ear or the toe or using that new grappler to like, you know, shoot him in the nose, all these things to distract him. Anyway, Giant Man finally is like, you know what? I can't stand that you're bigger than me, so I'm going to grow 30, 30 feet too. But sure enough, that just makes him fall over because, you know, it's too shaky and hard. It's like pulling putty, I guess. Really, really thin. Makes you weak. That's the analogy. So Jan saves him some more. Ultimately, he picks up Giant Man and he's going to throw him off the ledge. Or no, he's not going to throw him off the ledge. They think he's going to, but really he's going to throw him into what looks like a mushroom or something like that. And finally, Giant Man figures out what's going on. He communicates with the wasp to distract the giant. She does again. Giant Man, like punches the giant in the chest and then quickly shrinks so that the giant thinks that he just disappeared. That freaks him out. He jumps into the mushroom, which turns out, as Hank suspected, is an alien spacecraft. And he flies away. And on his way out, he says, oh, you guys, I was looking for a, uh, I wasn't looking for a, um, uh, 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 what's the word? Sacrifice. I was looking for a sample, a human sample to take back to my place of origin but i don't want one now because these guys can grow big and they can grow small and they can disappear and reappear and the humans are too powerful and we didn't read that issue of tales of suspense where the same dang thing happened so we didn't know we came down here to like you know spy and stuff and now we're too scared so we're going home um and then giant man and the wasp leave and the natives create this big giant man statue because they were there the entire time watching the two of them duke it out so if you ever go to Boraburu, you should be able to find a giant man statue tribute. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yuck. So just to kind of clarify right off the bat, Boraburu, this mysterious region in Africa, and Bora Bora, the South Pacific Island, are not the same thing. Right. Pretty close um, sounding, though. Yeah. Like you said, changing away from pills is good. Yes. Um, and I'm glad that they actually talked about how he modifies his helmet and adds the cybernetics to make this happen. Because I thought they were going to say, oh, I've been doing this so long. If I just think hard enough, I can change size. And it's just like, wow, you just think about, you know, turning into a pigeon. You can turn to a pigeon. I mean, is that how that works? Yeah. But I thought he said how it works and it made no sense to me. But now I can't find it as usual. So, Well, he adds some cybernetics to his helmet, he said. Um but I don't really know. I mean, so you put some circuitry inside your headpiece. Oh, it's he's using mental energy, he says. So it's like it's not very sciencey. But at the same time, I'm glad the pills are gone because that was annoying. Yeah, yeah. And I do think it's weird that instead of giving this ability to Jan, he has given himself the ability to mentally control her size. <laughs> well, it's it's consistent. 
Yeah. With with how he treats her, because pretty much she does whatever he says, and anytime she is heroic at all, it's because of something he told her to do. And now she can't even shrink or grow on her own. She has to rely on him to do it for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, she could take pills if she wants to, but also she could just say, hey, Hank, shrink me. But yeah. she should be able to just control that on her own. Now, I hope that by next issue that will be rectified. And it's just that Cap interrupted them before he had the chance to install it on her antenna. My thoughts, exactly. But we'll see. We'll see if he just keeps doing it himself. But And, you know, maybe they'll eventually change it. But it'd be nice if they change it, you know, next time. Yeah. Uh, so Captain America shows up. Yeah. This was kind of a... a uh, it just didn't really ring true to me, like, why the Avengers care about Boraburu. And they care, but they don't care enough because they're all too busy. So, whatever. But, yeah, like, it, where's their jurisdiction exactly? And why do they care about this faraway country? And how did they even hear about this and no one else has or anything like that, you know? Or maybe. Okay. Or maybe they don't care and mm. they just thought, well... Maybe Henry Pym wants to go do it. He's a giant guy, right? It really seemed like he was just passing it <laughs> off to them. Like if you if you read it cynically, it does sound like it's like, eh, we don't want to do this, but you can. It's a yeah. it's a guy who grows like you, so you go take care of it. Right, and he's only just recently shown up, so it's like a recent threat. Um, but Cap is all like being smooth, and uh, in my mind, I feel like he's fronting, like. He's trying out a line he heard someone else say, and he's kind of slightly awkward in the delivery. He's like, say, your uniform looks lovely, Wasp. Who redesigned it? Christian Dior? Or I like that headcanon because Christian Dior didn't exist in 1943. So maybe he did hear that from somebody and is trying the line. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, Dick, Dick Ayers is not my favorite Captain America artist, although there's only three panels of him, so... No, yeah, too hard I, I of a time. It's just kind of weird. The the wings I think stick out too much. Shield is awkwardly either too big. It's like too small sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's weird as we've only seen Kirby draw Cap since he's come back. So yeah, this is our first other person drawing Cap. Mm-hmm. I like to think that Henry remembers his last vacation with Jan and how Jan <laughs> was really into the superheroing at that time. So he kind of makes the same thing happen here. It's going to be superheroes on vacation. Yeah. And what did they do? They fought a really big monster. They did. That turned out to be an alien controlled robot. Uh huh. And this is an alien. You know, it's been a while since we had our, our <laughs> alien invasion say, story. I was going to say, this was right out of, uh, I don't remember what issue Tales of Suspense. It was like his second or third appearance. Whichever one he paints his armor gold. Right. This is like the exact same plot, kind of like run away. The humans are more powerful than we thought. Although this probably happened five times before that issue too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the end of the scroll story, right? Oh, and it's true. The end of the it's the end of that um, mole men or um, toad men, right? And the people who saw Thor turn into Don Blake, <gasps> the 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 Easter Island guys, yeah, Saturn men, yeah, yes, yeah, Sat- yeah. yeah. So it is it is a recurring theme that if we just do a couple of superhero tricks, they'll be like. Holy shit, Earth is crazy. We've got to get out of here. <laughs> but since we complain so much about this, we must point out that they did write by us this story too, in that Jan did a lot of cool things mm-hmm. that saved Giant Man. And none of those things were, or a lot of those things weren't him directly like instructing her either. Right. Like 
he was going to die multiple times and she would like shoot him in the nose or the ear or whatever to keep him distracted while Henry figured out what to really do. It, yeah. It and that was cool. Lots of good wasp action and lots of good like lovey interactions between them. Uh-huh. Although Hank's insecurities kind of get in the way at the end of the story. Um, well, let's, let's talk about that a second. Uh, she, they're about to die. They think, and she says, Hank, if this is it, remember, I love you. I'll always, and then it gets interrupted. And then in the end, she's like, um, you know that part where I thought we were finished? I hope you didn't think, and he interrupts her and gets it all wrong. But I'm just thinking like, dude, last issue, he wanted to propose to her. They're at that level, and they've never said I love you? Mm-hmm. That's weird. Marvel's yeah, weird. It is weird. I mean, at the same time, he kind of was – turned off by all that because she went out dating no but they ended that with her like reaffirming her affection yeah, for him right yeah yeah i mean are they dating or are they not they keep going all over the place like i feel like if i was at a point where i wanted to give a girl a ring i've definitely told her i love her i definitely think of her as my girlfriend you know think, at least those two things i think the inconsistency is a lot more on henry's part than it is on jan's yeah she's yeah. like her thought bubbles are always i really like him why is he a moron Right. And why is he a moron? I don't know. And why does he put her down so much in this issue? Because he does a lot. So oh, a lot yeah. About her scattered brain and everything else. Yeah. And it's like part of you thinks, part of me thinks like, oh, I could just read this and write it off as that's just how they work. Because she slams him too all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. But then part of me also feels icky about some of that stuff. So. Yeah. All right, so we go on to oh oh oh. Before we go on to anything, we must point out big news. Uh-huh. Next issue will feature a special treat for <gasps> you Marvel fans, and that includes just about everyone. Giant Man and the Wasp will meet the Incredible Hulk, who they've already met, whom they've already met. <laughs> so weird wording, but okay, still excited. So All that's one on one. Next issue, and then the issue after that is when the Hulk starts a series. Yeah. So Wasp, um, that's kind of. It's good, but it's also kind of not good because this issue they tout about how, like, the Wasp is getting her own more full-size story. And it's her last. And it's her last. So it's like they make it sound like they're setting it up for her to have better tales and adventures, and then they just yank it right out from under her. Mm-hmm. So anyway, let's enjoy this one. It's called The Magician and the Maiden. Um, speaking of Robin and Wasp always being Robin. Apparently, they also have a Batman-Robin trophy room because they have a room full of pictures that are hung up on the wall of all their awesome villains. Mm-hmm. That's right, guys. The uh, Top, the Porcupine, Egghead, Black Knight, and the Magician. Um, and as she's looking at them, because that's what you do when you're bored, she hears that the Magician has escaped. So she takes that picture down because it's not accurate anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. Right. Um, Hank also hears that the magician escaped, but he's on the road. I can't remember what he's doing, but he's scared and he's like, oh no, what if they come after us? What if he comes after us? So he has like flying ants send a letter to Wasp that tells her to stay in the lab and lock the door till he gets home because it's too dangerous, little woman. It's too dangerous for a girl. And meanwhile, she's also heard though that at the mall or somewhere, they're like unleashing a new fashion line that's inspired by her awesomeness. And so, of course, Jan, being a very fashion-happy lady, cannot resist going. Um, So she just ignores that note because rightly so. She's a superhero on her own. She doesn't need to listen to that baloney. So she goes. And guess what? The magician's there. 
And his first magical spell he casts is to lock them all up so no one can get out. And then with his second spell, he uses it to have the wand like locate the wasp who's just dressed up as Jan so no one realizes it's the wasp. But of course, now they do. And she turns into the wasp and they get into a fight. His third spell or something is he like throws some sand type stuff or sticky stuff so that it weighs down her wings and they don't they can't flap anymore and fly and then he also brought some goggles that allows him to see small things you know enlarges small things so he's prepared he's wanting this fight but still she manages to eke away partly because these goggles i guess he didn't practice and it's like wrecking his ability to actually figure out where his hand really is when he tries to smash her um, she lures him to an escalator where she manages to get his cape stuck into the you know stairs and then she goes to a toy store and uses the remote control to have the robot like tie up the magician while he's stuck and then she uses her wasp finger to release everybody from the mall, which also allows the police to come in and arrest the magician. And then she goes home just in time for Hank to arrive and go, oh, I'm so glad you stayed in the lab this whole time and you were safe. And she's like, oh, yes, thank God. You're so strong and amazing and my hero. And she hugs him and winks to us because he's not. Yeah. That was fun. It was the magician. Yeah, you lied to me. When I said he wasn't coming back? Yeah. Yeah, I really thought he wasn't. I indexed uh, that. That was that was important to me, that knowledge. And then uh, yeah. I felt betrayed. But you know what? I like the story much better than his other story. It was a better story. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't a whole lot better. <laughs> well, I felt like he his plan, you know, the first story with the whole dining room and the tarp and picking pockets and stuff was all kind of weird to kind of lure him in and everything else. Yeah. All that was silly nonsense. And this, he's kind of like just a straight up magic Zatanna guy or something. Mm -hmm. So it was a little more streamlined and easy. And of course the entire thing was Jan kicking his butt. So that was better. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like hearing that he's loose and taking down the picture because we can't have the picture up if he's unless he's captured. That's mm-hmm. like an odd devotion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Batman would constantly be changing his trophy room out all the time, right? Robin, lift that penny back up. <laughs> Robin, put the penny down. Two faces on the loose again. Yeah, um, and going weird. after the clothing line that's modeled after her outfit. I think. I remember that Jan does the exact same thing when she has her own clothing line, when mm. she gets rich and, and opens up fashion stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she does a series of outfits based on her outfit. So, yeah, that's pretty great. Well, she has to pay Benson's or if Benson's has to pay her. I like when, um, you know, the Marvel Universe is inspired or affected by the superheroes. So I mm-hmm. like this idea that, like, lots of women – there's enough women out there that want to be – want to dress like the wasp in some way or another that they made a line out of it. That's cool. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, whenever Henry tells her to stay home, she's like, Psh, you silly boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, totally I like that capable. too. I'm going out. <laughs> I like that too. And that she like, well, I don't know if I, I guess I liked it. I liked that She kind of pat him on the head in the end. So he's like, none the wiser that like he thought he saved her. And of course he didn't at all. Yeah. There's, um, there's a kind of a trope with modern, TV and stuff that is period piece and deals with women. And you often will see women who have to deal with the constraints of the time because it's a historical piece, but also find ways to thrive within those constraints. Marvelous Ms. Maisel is a great example of this. Mm, That's Um, a great show. Yeah. Yeah. 
a 1950s or early 60s Jewish woman has to live within a lot of constraints, but also finds ways to be a really awesome person within those constraints. Mm -hmm. And some of the constraints she kind of likes because they just happen to fit, you know, lend themselves to her personality. So I feel like that's a little bit what's going on here. Yeah, I like I, I can see personality wise that Jan would off would probably humor uh humor, humor Henry. Humor Henry in his his man thinking. Um she's going to the fashion show and she's like, I like being famous, but I don't like being pawed by people. If I just wear this civilian disguise over my costume and no one's gonna recognize me. And I'm like, yes, if I just wear regular clothes instead of my <laughs> costume, I'm gonna look like a regular person. That's fantastic. Good Yeah. I mean, that works to a point. She doesn't have a mask. Right. So, I mean, I could see it working in this situation. But if she gets more and more famous at some point, I'd imagine like any actress or whatever, you can't just walk around. The floppy hat helps with that because it kind of partially obscures her face. Add some sunglasses. And that snow outfit that she's wearing, I'm pretty sure she wears that exact thing in the Marvel Holiday Grab Bag. What is the Marvel Holiday Grab Bag? It's a treasury edition book that came out in the 70s that has okay. it has several different story reprints but in like large treasury edition pages but those reprints are couched within a holiday framing story. And so okay. a lot of characters interact with each other there and in that she is wearing the sort of like not Santa, you know, fur hemmed outfit that she's wearing here. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Any other thoughts on this? Mm, nope. It sucks that this is like that, the last one we're going to get. <laughs> but, you know, I'm also happy the Hulk is coming. So, um, She has to use pills in this one. So okay. She hasn't gotten her, her mental powers yet. And the only thing I, I wrote down is that that toy robot that he uses, the oversized <laughs> toy robot, uh-huh. that is one heck of a sophisticated toy robot. Right. That was really hokey. Yeah. I don't think like, even... Just take a pill, get bigger, and tie them up yourself. Right, right. Anyway. But yeah, there are not many repeat characters whom we will never see again, but I double-checked. The Magician is definitely a character we will never see again. Well, I just don't believe you anymore, but that's okay. I I, I have ruined my credibility. I understand. Uh All right, Tales of Suspense. Let's do some suspenseful tales starring the unicorn. Or as they call it in the comic bag business, Iron Man. Mm. Tales of Suspense featuring the power of Iron Man. And we've so, read 56 of these. We have read 56 of these. Or whatever 56 minus 38 is. 18? Yeah. 18. Iron Man has never been more exciting or more dramatic than in his never-to-be-forgotten battle with the Uncanny Unicorn. In this daringly different tale, you will gain an insight into Iron Man's character that you've never known before. Because we start with him throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> written by... Or written with consummate skill by Stan Lee, illustrated with blazing drama by Don Heck, and lettered with bloodshot eyes wow. by S. Rosen. Um, yeah, Iron Man is in his special private lab, thrashing equipment, punching stuff because he's like, oh my god, I'm sick of being Iron Man. I'm sick of almost dying and having to wear this stupid iron casing the entire time. Why can't I be normal and outside happy and pepper and other people are like he's tearing the place apart of there but he says anytime he's in his private lab we can't bother him pepper uses the intercom and he's like i'm nothing's wrong mind your own business leave me alone and he cries his hands i'm so tragic i'm beautiful and rich and well off i can live any lifestyle i want but i have this shrapnel in my heart i'm one of the most unhappy men alive 
And he's like, wait a second. I don't have to be Iron Man. I can throw my walking stick into the cabinet here and never be Iron Man again. Pepper, go find my little black book. You know, the, the one. I'm going to go on a date. Let's see. Let's call this woman. Yes, she's ready for a date. And Happy's like, okay, I'll drive you, boss. It's good to see you in such a good mood. And Toadie's like, you? What makes you think I need a chaperone on a date? Get your ugly mug out of here. It doesn't say that, but that's kind of the tone. Um, while he goes off on a date, Pepper's like, if he wanted a date, why didn't he just ask me? And then the Avengers call, ring, ring, ring. Is, Tony, is, is Iron Man there? We're trying to find him. And Pepper's like, I don't know. I'll ask Tony. Tony, do you know where Iron Man is? And Tony's like, Iron Man's on vacation. A long vacation. Just like Forrest Gump's mom was on vacation. Um, I'm sorry, I don't even know where that came from. Um, so while Tony is out on the town, the Avengers have to go run a mission without him. And the unicorn attacks Tony's administration building. The unicorn is called the unicorn because he has this big old light coming out of his head. Kind of like the Silurians in Doctor Who's, um, the third Doctor's first adventure. You don't know the third Doctor's, not first adventure, but you don't know the third Doctor adventure because you haven't finished the second Doctor yet. Nope. Not to call you out or anything. (laughs) Um, So Unicorn is like trashing the administration offices and Happy and Pepper there and Happy launches himself at the Unicorn. He actually does, you know, decently for about a page, but the Unicorn eventually hits him with his power beam and knocks Happy out. Happy is taken to the hospital and Tony gets a a phone call at the restaurant where he's dating some woman that he accidentally calls Pepper. Um, I think her name is Pamela. Anyways, he's like, oh, no. I'm a human being, and I have human beings working for me. If only I hadn't been an asshole, I could have been there for him. And he drives off and goes to the hospital. He's like, doctor, you can have all my money, anything. Just please save happy. And the doctor's like, I give everybody the best care I can. Your money's no good for you here because our medical industry still has some sense of nobility to it. Um, as opposed to now. Then we go to the Uncanny Unicorn's origin story. He is... From Russia. He's a commie bastard. And turns out that his suit was made by the Crimson Dynamo himself. And it's not just a cool looking suit. He does have armor like Iron Man. It protects him. Um, So he captures Pepper and uses her as a lure for Iron Man. Um, Iron Man comes attacks and Uncanny Unicorn has put a bomb somewhere in the factory. And it's going to go off in like 10 minutes or something. So Iron Man's like, you know, trying to beat him up and trying to fly around and find the bomb. He's like, oh, fine, I give in you to just, just save us. Don't let the bomb go off. And Unicorn's like, okay, you promise? I have your word as an Avenger. I'll, I can, you know, take you on a plane that's bound for Russia. And Iron Man's like, yes, anything. So Unicorn's like, fine, I'll go disable the bomb. And uh, Iron Man flies Pepper to safety. And then he gets on a plane bound for Russia but once they're on the plane, Iron Man's like, I didn't tell you what I would do once I was on the plane. And what I'm going to do is fly through all the windows to depressurize the plane. You're, I'm going to tear up your wings so that your plane crashes to the ground. Um, oh, look, everyone gets to parachutes. So they must be safe. And the unicorn's like, I didn't get to a parachute. I can fly. And um, Tony gets to the office. Pepper gets the phone call that Happy's okay in the hospital. And Tony and Pepper go visit Happy. And Happy's kind of his grumpy, miserable self, but Pepper is very affectionate toward him. And Tony's like, is she affectionate because she really cares about him? 
or is she affectionate because she's trying to make me jealous? Because evidently that's the thing that women do in comics. And uh, and yeah, the unicorn is free at the end of the story. So I saw this cover and was like, oh god, the uncanny unicorn. This mm-hmm. is going to be a throwaway. Mm-hmm. But I liked it. Except for the part where he calls himself the unicorn. He's actually a pretty cool character. It's kind of sad that he's called the unicorn. I wish he would just call himself Triclops or something like that. Right? Because he doesn't I, have a horn. I hadn't realized, but you're that's exactly how I feel about it, too. This is a pretty decent story with some good character dynamics for Tony. Nice stuff with a supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Happy does something interesting, and Pepper does something interesting as a result. And, um, yeah, there's... There's, some there's a guy called the unicorn. He is unfortunately called the unicorn. I feel like there's a bad rhyme. Like it should be the uncanny unicorn. <laughs> I mean, it's like he doesn't even have a horn. That's what bothers me the most. Maybe. I mean, I get that the thing shoots out of the top of his head. So I guess that's where a horn would be. And he calls it his horn, but it's basically just like a big open eye thing that shoots. It's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why they called him that. I looked up Unicorn and Russia just to see if there was anything there, and there's not. So, I don't know. Someone just slapped Unicorn on this poor, unfortunate villain, and that's what we get. I did find a, a humorous coincidence that the Avengers called Giant Man for a mission that they could not handle, and now the Avengers are calling Iron Man for a mission that they cannot handle. Mm-hmm. It was it was funny to have the- that you know repeated repeated in both. Well, they call him and say, there's someone named the Unicorn going around wrecking stuff, but we can't deal with it because we're busy. Mm -hmm. We're we're busy doing stuff. Just like Cap, there's this guy named Colossus, but we're busy. We are too busy. I don't know. I don't know. At least in this case, it's not them driving the story. Like, they don't send Iron Man to go confront the Unicorn. Instead, it's just another example of Tony being a jerkhead. Mm -hmm. Because he's even ignoring his team. Maybe they're just like, wait. He's called the unicorn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Henry's like, I, I don't, I, I, I've got to go do some science. And but Thor's that, like, I have wings on my head. Gosh. That's Pegasus, not unicorn. That panel, that first unicorn panel on page five, though, is like glorious. And he looks so cool. But he's called the unicorn. <laughs> it's really not fun. Like, gosh, you could have just come up with something better. Because this guy could still be around right now if you had come up with something better. Right. Oh, well. So what I've, do you think of the whole – I know what you think kind of because you sort of made fun of it and I agree. The big temper tantrum at the beginning. I think it's an overwrought effort to to, to in, inject some pathos back into Iron Man. Uh-huh. Because uh, I feel like he's kind of lost a bit of that. And yeah. just reminding us that, oh, yeah, I remember how Tony's tragic. But it's really overwrought and overdone. So the problem is, like, we're still in this stage where they want to get things done in one issue. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if this was drawn out more and this was like the end of a, you know, six issues of him feeling sorry for himself, this would work better. Yeah. Um, I know I know he felt sorry for himself at least once before because we made fun of that too. The way he words like, oh, I'm a millionaire. It sucks to be me. Was that an Avengers or something? I don't know where it was. I know we made fun of it though. Yeah, we did because I was kind of repeating myself there intentionally. So at least there was like a slight buildup. But yeah, it does seem to also come out of nowhere that he's just like, I'm going to give up everything and throw away everything and, and but- push my friends aside and stop being an Avenger and – but Don Blake gives up being Thor in order to be with Jane. 
Uh-huh. Tony, who has, you know, it kind of came out of nowhere a few issues ago, but now for several issues, he's been crushing on Pepper. He throws out the Iron Man suit and doesn't go ask Pepper for a date. He goes ask Pepper for his little black book. And I feel like that's a misstep in the story. Like, Or it's because he's dying. Uh, okay. I mean, that's his main crux of the problem is not that he's a millionaire and good looking and all that. It's that he doesn't know how long he has left to live. So... Not just that he has to wear this metal plate on his chest all the time, but how long is that even going to keep him alive is his problem right. in, in this issue. So if he's going to be dead tomorrow, does he want to hook up with the girl of his dreams that he wants to marry and have kids with? Or does he want to just go know, play the field and so go play the field until he's dead? Right. I don't yeah, know. that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Um, Happy gets really badly injured in this. And uh-huh. If I remember right, it's all gone by the next issue. But where I am in my reading, you know, sort of two years forward from this, the stories are a lot more like continuing one into the other and such. Mm-hmm. The events of one lead directly into the events of the other, even if the stories aren't necessarily directly connected. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we're just not quite there yet. But if we were, this big old injury would, would – he would be in the hospital for another issue or two. You think he's watching Downton Abbey? Yes. <laughs> I think Happy Hogan definitely loves Downton Abbey, and he is very sympathetic to Mr. Burns' plight, and he really wants him to be able to work out and clear his name and marry the marry Mrs. Burns, and yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of Bates, like- Bates. Bates. I'm so stupid. Bates, not Burns. Mr. Bates. But anyways, go ahead. It's like, uh, you know, I'm not saying they read this issue for Iron Man uh, 3, but how many times does Happy end up in a bed, like, unconscious because he tried to fight a supervillain? Probably a lot of times. Probably a lot of times. But maybe not. When I was reading this, I thought, was this the inspiration? Or is it just coincidence? I don't know. But yes, good Iron Man stuff. Um, I made a snarky con about the doctor because, you know, this is the 1960s. Medical insurance is still a, a, a growing thing. It doesn't really dominate the medical industry the way it does now. And so doctors pay what doctors charge what they have to charge for service. It's not the overbloated medical industry where you're not only paying for the service, you're paying for all of the insurance that everybody owns for all of the legal fees that might happen if someone gets sued for malpractice. I mean, I'm all for insurance and insurance for everybody, but at the same time, there's there's a lot of problems with our medical industry. <laughs> I'm all for healthcare for everybody, necessarily insurance already. Healthcare for everybody at an affordable cost, whether that means insurance or something else. But this is not the um, uh, healthcare podcast. I think this was just a your money can't fix everything scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know if that helps move anything along other than he's already feeling guilty about not being Tony Stark for the last first half of this story. So now he's coming back to reality and not being so selfish. But this seemed a little yeah. like like a little I don't know. I don't know what the point of this was exactly because it wasn't a, it wasn't a money thing before. So No. It's just, I think, in the, I guess the only point with all of that I was trying to make is that in today's medical world, money does make a big difference. Like, sure. Yeah. That's something I was trying to say there. Well, of course, um, Tony can afford private care. So mm-hmm. anyway. The trick with making a promise and then, <sighs> you know, taking the promise only so far is, is clever, but it goes back to the thing we've talked about before about... If you make a promise to a bad guy in order to save somebody's life, yeah, do you really have to keep that promise? I'll tell you, though, 
it's kind of fun because you could just read this and go, oh, he's being super heroic and he's keeping a promise, much like Thor did that entire issue, keeping that promise to what's his face, Tomorrow Man. Zarko the Tomorrow Man, yeah. But in this case, I feel like Unicorn uh, got Tony Starked a little bit because it's like, is he keeping the promise? Is it is he like not knocking out the Unicorn immediately after the Unicorn disassembles the bomb because he's keeping a promise? Or is he just going along with it because now he can – also take down the plane and all the Russians in it. You know what I mean? Right. Like it seemed like Tony had the upper hand here and it was actually, it was actually more of a trick trick versus Thor being honorable to a fault. I see. So he was was actually taking advantage of the situation to get the unicorn at a place where he could have fun taking him down. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I'm not saying that's what they intended, but that's how I read it. Um, And I just enjoyed him tearing that plane apart too. I thought that was really cool. I'm looking to see where the unicorn's next appearance is because I have recently read the first half of that X-Men story that I've mentioned a few times on here because we have a lot of bad guys we've seen that are going to show up in it. Mm-hmm. But it's X-Men 22 and 23 where there's just like Count Nefaria and a bunch of random villains against the X-Men. And yes, that is the... Um, oh, aside from the Fantastic Four Annual 3 where everybody shows up, that is his next appearance is the X-Men 22 and 23. That's a ways away. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting is he gets away, though. Um, and lately, when something gets away, it's immediately dealt with the next issue. Apparently, he's not. He just gets away. Although Scarecrow mm-hmm. got away, too. It never came back. So, Right. Until I don't know. the X-Men story. Um, Until the X-Men story. He's X-Men. only a Bronze Age Iron Man villain, though. He's Iron Man 154 is his last appearance with Iron Man. He's, That's he's because only. they called him the Unicorn. You're probably right. Because otherwise, I thought he was pretty cool. So, too bad, I guess. Can't win them all. Too bad. Well, um, we do have a second story in this comic. We're trying to put our binoculars on because we can do some watching. Yep. All right. Or I'll close my eyes. It's your turn. Tales of the Watcher. This is called The Watcher's Sacrifice. Mm Mm-hmm. Story plot, Stan Lee, script and art, Larry Lieber, inking George Bell, lettering Art Simic. The Watcher is sitting on his moon, doing some watchery things, playing with matter and antimatter, whatever he decides to send himself, because he can travel faster than light, and he goes to this other planet, and um, using his invisible, what does he call it, his invisible electro image to travel around the planet, seeing what's going on without being seen, and he sees a battle. And the queen of one of the sides of the battle is standing in the middle of the battle as an inspiration to all the people who are fighting for her. And the watcher gets a hormone. And he's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she is so beautiful. She inv- she makes me feel warm and tingly inside, like when I used to climb the ropes in gym class. <laughs> and so at the end of the battle, well, the battle is nearing the end and the evil armies are about to come and attack the king, they're, the queen. They're running toward the queen with a sword and Watcher's like, he, he can't kill her, but I, I can't interfere. Wait a second, what does interfering really mean? I mean, if I just go stand in his way, is that interfering? And that one guy who's lying on the moon dying is like, yes, that's interfering. <laughs> and uh, Shut up, you. like, I, did, I didn't hear that. I'm going to go stand in the way. So he goes and Shut up, you. <laughs> he stands in the way and stops the guy from hurting the queen with a sword. And the queen's like, oh, my gosh, you saved my life. And I love that big, bald head of yours. <laughs> Watcher, stay with me forever. Be my my consort or my king or whatever. 
And he's like, I, I love this woman so much that, that flames, flames <laughs> on the sides of my face. No. Um, a considerably big face. Right. He's like, wait a second. Watchers can't get married. What am I doing? So out loud, he's like, rude. How dare you suggest that I could possibly spend my life with a mortal? Be gone, worthless female. And he leaves crying inside and he leaves the queen crying outside. And ironically, we change scene to Johnny and Ben and Johnny's out of nowhere. Hey, Ben, I thought you had it bad or, or um, was it bad or easy? No, Ben, I thought your brain was the softest thing on the planet, but turns out, no, it's the watcher's job. He just sits around watching every stuff. That life must be cush. And the panel, like, has Ben turn around with his mouth open, like, the the frog are you talking about, boy? I was just sitting here playing playing video games and drinking milk, and out of nowhere, you're ragging on me? What is this? Um. Anyways, so that's the end of the story. Ugh. So what issue are we on? 56? Mm-hmm. So one more of these? I think so. And then we get a different backup? And then we get... Or a 50%? Yeah, we get we get caps. Boy, this was... Blech, but whatever. I actually... At, on the list of Watcher stories, uh-huh. this one was not as bad for me. Um, just because, I don't know, it wasn't superly overly moralistic at the end. The Watcher was actually being a person, but... At the same time, it's not a great story. Yeah, it's all right. I guess it's better that it's about him than just him telling us stories. Yeah, about the sneepers and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two more because whenever Iron Man fights Cap, there is a Watcher backup. In oh, that there one. is. Okay, I wasn't sure. Yeah. I've probably never read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. All right. I like that he has like this... I'm attuned to the senses of danger throughout the universe. And this little revolt somehow ranks up there enough to get his attention. Yeah. 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 And I liked his, you know, instant travel across the world. He's still doing the little lightning bolt form, which in my mind is not really a lightning bolt form. That's just how they're portraying his instant travel. Right. Cause he says he turns to living energy, but then he also says he goes faster than light. So must be right. something else. It's just Goku instant teleportation. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I never knew about the Watcher and the lightning bolt f- form, so this must not last. Well, he he still has those powers. They just don't show the lightning bolt. Right, he just shows up. He just shows up because he can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, this does have a cool next issue box at the end of the Iron Man story, or was it the end of this story? Iron but Man. Hawkeye is showing up next issue. Hawkeye and a villain, but we won't say who. No, the return of a surprise villain. Who could it be? I don't know. Crimson Dynamo? <laughs> Another one? <laughs> Why not? Armor's well, just sitting there. Two. Let's bring a third one out. That doctor that Tony confronted, he becomes the new Crimson Dynamo. He becomes the new unicorn. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. All right. Well, All that right. brings us to the end of another episode. Yay. Yay. And um, I... Do not have easy access to all of my thank yous right now. So I have to come back to those another episode. But we do appreciate all of y'all out there following us on Twitter and liking us on Facebook and retweeting episodes and all those wonderful things. Thank you so much for your support of the show. Where can they find us? They can find us um, on all those phone and 
iPads and pads and laptops and stuff. Anything that plays a uh, podcast, you could just type in Make Ours Marvel and hopefully we show up. And if we don't, please let me know and we'll figure out how to make ourselves show up. But also, if you don't know where to start, you can go to makeoursmarvel.com. You'll find, of course, all our episodes. You'll also find links to all those things I was just talking about, podcasts, Android, uh, Stitcher, and, of course, our social media, Facebook, and Twitter, and you'll also find a form where you can contact us, or if you'd rather just get straight to the point, you can do podcast at makearsmarvel.com, right into the show. Every once in a while, we'll read those emails and respond. We'll have like a special mailbag episode, so those are fun. So that's how you do it. Makearsmarvel.com should have everything you need. And uh, I am available also on Twitter at John Reads Comics. You can follow me there. You can follow my other shows all the pouches and image comics podcast at all the pouches, which as this show drops, I think it's the beginning of May of 2019 and my episodes covering July of 1993 should be dropping, getting into um, wildcats trilogy, getting into um, death mate, uh, getting into uh, lots of other good stuff over there. Also every Saturday morning, there is a TV show with Japanese superheroes called super sentai and my son and I are doing a commentary on those from the 1970s, the very first Super Sentai series, Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger. That is over at Silly Sentai on Twitter or my website, johnreadscomics.com. Um, you really ought to put in parenthesis Power Rangers so people know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, you know, the Japanese. Just in case. Just in case. There might be Power Rangers fans that have no idea of what Super the Sentai Power is. The Power Rangers from before the Power Rangers. Right. You never know. The early Japanese show that eventually became Power Rangers. Yep. So, um, do please follow me over there. And until next time, and until Loki tries to kill Balder with a mistletoe arrow. Make ours marvel.